will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So we are currently speeding toward the end of another church year and about to begin a new church year with Advent season coming up. And I don't know if, if you have noticed this, but at the end of every church year, you have this theme that's driven home every week, week after week, and that theme is the return of the Lord. We, we really touched upon that last Sunday, uh, All Saints Day. That is rooted in the future. It's rooted in the last day. Uh, the readings for today are about the last day, the return of the Lord. The readings next Sunday and the Sunday after that to end the church year. And then the first Sunday of Advent is, generally speaking, it's about the return of the Lord as well. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, and I've heard this from other pastors as well, and I, I have felt this way myself, we ask ourselves, what more can we say Sunday after Sunday about the same topic, the return of the Lord? It is a challenge for anyone who must teach and preach on the topic. And I have to share this with you. As I've grown older in the ministry and I've been around a longer amount of time, I think finally for me, I'm beginning to understand the importance of the emphasis because the lectionary, those readings we have every, every Sunday, they're appointed readings. I don't choose them, they're appointed. But the lectionary really, I think, has it right that this is an emphasis, the return of the Lord that we cannot overstress. And the sermon for today, I think, helps me, and I hope you, to understand why. Let's take a look at our gospel reading on page 8 of your worship bulletin. Matthew 25, this is part of the eschatological discourse, or it's a fancy name for the end times speech of Jesus, okay? And that's chapter 24, chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now the bridegroom is Christ. And I think it's worth noting that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, God is spoken of as the husband of Israel. Here, Jesus applies the title to himself. I think it's significant. Roman number one on page nine. We watch for the Lord's return together. We don't watch, we can't watch for the Lord's return in isolation from one another. It's a together thing, and it needs to be. And I cite Hebrews chapter 10, where it's written, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see that day, the day of his return, approaching. So we can't encourage one another. We cannot strengthen one another if we're apart. 
we draw strength from one another when we are in the presence of one another. That's how it works. That's why there's a you, that's why there's a me, and that's why he calls us together. Letter A, the church on earth is a mixed company. It's a mixed company. All ten virgins appear to be waiting for the groom. They all appear to be prepared for the groom's, the bridegroom's return or his coming. But only five were actually ready. Look at verse 2. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. So there was oil in the lamps, but no extra. And that's important because you don't know when the groom's coming. It could be later. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So they're taking the extra. As the bridegroom was delayed. And see, this is important. And this is alluded to elsewhere in the New Testament. There may be a delay between his ascension and his return. So don't be surprised by that. Letter B in your outline. Israel was a mixed company as well. Israel was also a mixed company. You can see that in the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes about that. He, he says there that most of the Israelites perished in the desert. They never made it to the promised land. They perished. And therefore, St. Paul writes, let every one of us who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You're not above falling away. We're cautioned about this time and time again. And you, you, you see this, for example, in the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus describes the seed that fell on rocky soil and it sprung up quickly, and it, it looked terrific, but it had no root. And Jesus says, when temptations came, it withered, it died, you see. It didn't last. It's a temporary kind of faith. I'm reminded of Matthew 13 as well, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, where the master, that's the Lord, sows good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. But the enemy comes and sows evil seed, the sons of the evil one, and they grow up together. The church is a mixed company. I can't look into your heart. Only God can look into your heart. I go by your outward profession, what you say. That's what I believe. That's what I'm called to believe and not doubt. But only God knows whether you are a believer, whether you're wheat, or whether you're weed. So let every man who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Roman numeral two, the son of man is coming at an hour you do not think, you do not expect. And again, verse five, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And so what's going on here is uh, the bridesmaids now, the virgins are at the bride's house, 
They hear the bridegroom's coming, and so it's their job to go out and meet him and accompany him back to the bride's house so he can receive his bride, and then the, the whole party will journey to the groom's house for the celebration. So that's kind of the background there. That's what's going on. So come out to meet him. Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. So they're all doing the right thing here. They all look good. And the foolish then said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, that's not rudeness. That is considering the need of the bride and the groom and the entire wedding party. Because if the wise divide their oil with the foolish, they may well run out of oil and light before they reach the groom's house and the celebration. So they can't divide their oil. It's, it's kind of like saying no one can believe for another, okay? Uh, my faith won't get you into heaven. You can't share that. It's not shareable, okay? I mean, you, you witness to others. You share your faith, but you can't give it to someone else. You can't put it in someone's heart. Only God can do that. Only the Lord opens the heart to believe. I can't do it. I just preach the word. You just share the word, you see. So it's not rudeness at all. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, wouldn't you know? And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And those are the most frightening words you can ever hear from the Lord's lips. I do not know you. Now, I would argue here that the Lord is simply speaking to us in a way that we could all relate to, believe it or not. Let me ask you this question. If strangers came to your house in the middle of the night, would you let them in? Of course not. You wouldn't do that. Jesus is, is speaking to us in a way that we can understand and relate to. We wouldn't do this. So, so for the sake of illustration, he's not doing this. He doesn't know them. Verse 13, and this is the point of the parable. Watch, therefore. In other words, keep on watching. And in the Greek, it's a present tense, continuous action verb. Keep on watching, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So, Roman numeral two, letter A. The time of his return is unknown, and it's unknowable. It's unknowable. I know, and you know, people try to calculate the date, despite the testimony of Scripture that none of us can. It's unknowable. It is deliberately withheld from you. Why? Because, my friends, there are some things you are better off not knowing. And I'll say more about that in a moment. Letter B. Therefore, you cannot get ready. You just need to be ready. You need to be ready right now. Because if he comes back at any moment, 
don't say to yourself, well, I can always repent when he returns. Well, I can always repent later. No, because that is actually a refusal to repent today. When you say, I'll repent tomorrow, you're saying, no, I love my sin right now more than I love my Lord. You don't want him to return and catch you in that condition. You see, that is self-condemning. And that's what the condemnation of God really is. It's self-condemnation. We condemn ourselves. We place ourselves under the judgment of God when we refuse to repent. Because in Christ, there is salvation for all. You take yourself away from that, outside of that, there's only judgment, you see. So, how are we to be ready? Now, that's the logical question. If it's not a matter of getting ready someday, how are we ready now? Roman numeral three. The Lord himself prepares us for his return. The Lord himself makes us ready. He makes us ready. Letter A. He calls us to the wedding feast through our baptism into Christ. And I love this passage from Ephesians 5. I quote it a lot because it's a wedding passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, Christ gave himself up for the church. Cleansing her. He cleanses the church. How? Washing her by water with the word. That's baptism. To present her to himself as a radiant church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the Lord's doing. As I've said so many times, I may apply the water, I may speak the words, but only Christ can wash away sin. And baptism is one way he does it. He prepares us for his own return by washing away our sins, by giving us a new life. I like the way Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 3. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You're wearing the wedding garment already by virtue of his work for you in baptism. Letter B, Christ places us in our vocations, our callings in life. All of us wear different hats. All of us have different offices that we fulfill. You may be a husband, you may be a wife, you may be a parent, a child, a governor, a citizen, an employer, an employee. We talk about this a lot. These are God-given positions of responsibility. And notice, the ten virgins, what was their vocation? To provide life for the wedding party. That was their calling, you see. Some were prepared to do that and fulfill their calling. Others weren't. And so... When we find people at the return of the Lord, this is the end of Matthew 24, right before our gospel reading, what are the people doing? Well, some are in the field working. That's their vocation. Some are milling grain. That's their vocation. Others are overseeing their household. That's their vocation. Those are the things we should be faithfully fulfilling when our Lord comes back. He doesn't call you to go out and save the world. He doesn't call you to do 
things that make the headlines. He calls you to do these small things, these God-given things. These are your calling from God. This is faithfulness. You remain with your spouse. You don't abandon your spouse. You stay at your post. Even though those kids might be ready, you're just pulling your hair out over them and, and, and so on and so forth, yet you remain as their parent. And that child, even though that child may be frustrated by the command or the uh, having to obey, that child needs to remain at his post and obey the parent. That's our calling, you see. These are the things that we should be doing at our Lord's return, the everyday responsibility, the ordinary tasks that we've been given by God. He places us in these positions of responsibility. Letter C, he grants us the gift of ignorance regarding the day and hour of his return. You didn't know ignorance was a gift, but it is when it comes to certain things. It is. You know, as I said earlier, there are some things in life you are better off not knowing. For example, when you kiss someone, you exchange up to 250 different kinds of bacteria with that person. Now, I'm not, see, you didn't need to know that, did you? Because now, now you're going to be afraid to kiss your loved ones and, and all that. But so, I, you know, you don't need to know that. Okay? Now, here's, here's something else. Every day you swallow more than a quart of saliva. That's gross. You know? You didn't need to know that. You're better off not knowing that. So, so I'm, I'm just going to stop right there, right? Because there's certain things in life you're better off not knowing. And this is one of them the day and the hour of his return. You need not to know that, okay? And then finally, letter D, Jesus points us not to the intermediate state, I'll define that in a moment, but to his return and to our resurrection. Scripture points us always to the return, to the last day. As Luther would say, there's only two days that matter, today, because you don't have tomorrow, and the last day. So, what's this intermediate state? It is the state of the soul between the death of the body and the resurrection of the body. That's what we call the intermediate state. And St. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, death is defined in Scripture as the unnatural and sometimes painful separation of the soul or the life from the body. The body goes limp, the body takes its rest in the grave, awaiting the reunion of soul and body at the resurrection. But the, here's the problem. We focus more on the intermediate state than we do on his return. When you go to a Christian funeral, I would hazard to guess that probably you hear a lot about, well, he's in a better place. And you may hear a whole lot less about the resurrection or the return of the Lord, the last day. But scripture directs us to the last day. It directs us consistently to his return. It says very little about the intermediate state. Why? Because that should not be your focus. That's not the focus that you and I need. Our focus tends to be rest in peace rather than the resurrection of the body. And that becomes our focus. Why? Because we have stopped believing in the imminent return.
of his return at any moment. We stop believing in that. That is spiritually dangerous, and it is suicidal. Scripture directs our attention not to the intermediate state, but to the return of Jesus. Why? Because to focus on his return is to be ready for his return. On the other hand, when you focus on other things, including the intermediate state, I submit you are less ready for his return. Why? Because when you focus on the intermediate state, what are you saying about the return? It's not going to happen for some time. It's not going to happen until after I die, my body's in the grave, and I've gone to a better place. You see, when you start thinking that way, you start living that way. It's easy, it becomes much more easy to depart from the path which is Christ. And the scripture says he's right at the door. That means he's coming momentarily. Now, I know it may not be today, but momentarily, that's the point. If you believe he comes momentarily, you will naturally desire to live in a way that pleases him. Not out of fear, but out of love for the one who first loved you at the cross. You want to please him. You want to be ready for him. Of all people, him, you want to welcome. But on the other hand, if you believe he delays, if you think, if you assume he's not coming back anytime soon, uh, or if, if you're thinking that you're going to die and go to heaven long before he returns, then you are more likely to live in a way that is not pleasing to him. The Lutheran Study Bible, and Gary, you're going to get a copy of it in just a, a few moments. The Lutheran Study Bible says this in a footnote on page 1,638. Quote, Sadly, many Christians today seem to have lost their expectation of Christ's imminent return. Countless sins and vices follow. <laughs> Countless sins and vices follow. If you assume he's not coming back soon, you will live like he's not coming back soon. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And that's how important belief in the imminent return of the Lord truly is. It may be the one thing. It might be the thing more than anything else that keeps you faithful until he returns or until you go to a better place. If you want to be found faithful at the return of the Lord, you need to know two things. First, you need to know what God has told you regarding his son, Jesus Christ, that Christ has died for your sins, that he has risen for you, that you are already forgiven. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago at the cross. God has pronounced you righteous in his sight through the blood of Jesus Christ. You may not believe that, but when you do believe it, that gift becomes yours personally, you see. But the point is, he did it for you, even without your believing, even without your caring. It's a done deal. It's yours, not by your work, but by his work and faith in that work that he accomplished. You see, that information is God's grace for you. Now, second thing you need to know, and this is just as important, you must also be aware, you must constantly be aware of what God has not told you about his son and about his return. 
This is why our Lord says in verse 13, Watch, therefore, keep on watching, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That is an absence of information. It is deliberate. And that absence of information is God's grace to you as well. Because, my friends, there are some things in life you are better off not knowing. This is one. Well, in fact, this is a big one. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.